Today's scripture reading is Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide, is written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the scripture, of the Spirit, through faith. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. Let's pray for the message. Father, we just pray this morning that our hearts would be open to the word and pray for the pastor as he brings it, that just what we need and we would take it into our hearts and use it as you would have us in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning. If you can put a piece of paper in Galatians chapter 3 and save that, we'll get back to it and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The last two Sundays We've been getting our feet wet in Romans again, and we've gotten very wet. The believers have been justified and have come to a place of peace with God, and it's given the privilege of standing forever in the grace of God and experiencing the love of God forever. Wow. Standing in the grace of God experience the love of God, having peace with God, and being justified by God. That's a lot of stuff. Today, we're going to answer the question, why? Why did God do all this? Why did he justify us? Why did he make peace with God? Why did he provide us a standing in grace? Why did he give us the ability to have the love of God poured out upon us. Why did he do that? Why? There's an Italian theologian, Scottinius, 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 
old guy, 16th century, okay? He came up with some interesting theories about Jesus. He believed that men owed their salvation to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was a prophet. He taught them the truth as a priest. He interceded for them. And as their king, he exercised power of, their, of his protection over them. But he denied that Jesus offered any atonement for sinners. He denied that Jesus provided any atonement for sinners. All that Jesus did was give you an example of how to live. Well, the church, uh, the Bible believers, corrected him and attacked his theory. But it seems like his theory still carries weight today. The theory that Jesus is just a good teacher or a good guy or a philosopher or some principal teacher is still alive and well and goes against what we've learned in Romans so far, that because of Jesus Christ, we are justified. Because of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Because of Jesus Christ, we stand in grace. Because of Jesus Christ, we, we have experienced the love of God. And all these things happen because of Jesus Christ. And he thinks that you can do it on your own effort and please God by living like Jesus Christ. Now, the passage we're going to look at will correct that view. Let's read it real quick. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now this will go and teach us why Jesus Christ had to do the work on the cross to save us. Why the atonement had to be through Jesus Christ. Why you cannot atone for your own sins. Now we're going to look at it in a positive way, and we're going to look at it in a negative way. We're going to begin with a negative How or what does a person do who is, does not have the love of God? If you do not stand in the grace of God, if you've not been justified, if you've not <laughs> been reconciled with God, if you, what will happen to this person? What will happen to a person without the love of God? First thing we'll learn in verse 6. Number 1. Number 1. <clears throat> For while we were still helpless... Still helpless. Number one, without the love of God, the person will always be sick. I'll use that term. 
The term, the Greek term, can be translated a number of different ways in English. <clears throat> but I'm going to take the term sick. Sick is somebody who's not healthy. Sick is somebody, when I was in college, I played a season of basketball, and I was in good shape, and I decided to go down to the YMCA and play basketball down there. And I went down there to show them how a good basketball player plays basketball. Okay? And I went up for a rebound. I grabbed the ball way above everybody else. And I slapped the ball with my other hand, made a big bang, and I came down. The problem was that I came all the way down. I came down, and my knee gave out. And I blew out my knee, showing off at the YMCA after a series, a season of playing serious basketball. Then had to get carried home and then went to the doctor and he did all this stuff. And after about a week, I had a knee that was huge. You couldn't see my thigh went to my leg and there was no knee in between. It was so big. So there was weeks I had to rehab it, and I couldn't do anything. And when I was supposed to start my rehab, I took my brace off my knee, and guess what my knee did? Nothing. Nothing. The doctor put his hand underneath my knee, right underneath the kneecap, and he said, push down. And I said, and nothing moved. I couldn't do it. My knee was broken. Sometimes when you're sick and you, and you are broken, when you try to do normal things, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. That's why I like the term sick here. The, the non-believer who doesn't know the love of God is in a sick state. He cannot do what he's intended to do. He cannot walk. He cannot run. He cannot play basketball. He is sick. Cannot do what he's supposed to do. Notice a couple things here. The four, for while we were still helpless, the four connects us back to swimming in the love of God from last week. Perfect tense. We're still helpless. The believer is helpless before salvation. The sinner without God is helpless. The term denotes a lack of moral strength or health. You are sick. Without the love of God, without spiritual strength, the sinner is lost and sick. The sinner is powerless to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat Satan. He's powerless to do anything to please God. He is sick. He cannot do it. He has no strength, no health to secure his own justification. He cannot do it. In the book of Hebrews, the law will not save you. It will not justify you. It will not do anything for you. You know what you'll be like without the love of God? Sick. Just like this sheep that has to be carried to the water. You are helpless. You need somebody to move you from where you were to the water because you were helpless. 
I had to recruit two guys to carry me home from the Y because I could not walk. I had to be carried, not like that, but similar to that, <laughs> because I was weak and helpless and sick. And every non-believer that you know is just like that lamb has to be carried. He tries to come up with many different ways to be carried, but what he does is he needs to be carried. He's helpless. If he wants to have a relationship with God, he is helpless. If he wants to have a drink of water, he is helpless. If he wants a spiritual thirst satisfied, he is helpless. He wants meaning in his life, he's helpless. Everything is helpless. And he needs help from somebody to carry him to the water. Second thing, that will to a sinner who does not experience the love of God. Look at the end of verse 6. <clears throat> While they were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Not only are you helpless, but you're ungodly. Ungodly. Number two, without the love of God, the person will always be resistant. 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 This is what the ungodly does. He resists against God. The love of God cannot save him. He's resisting the love of God. He does everything he can to resist the love of God. The ungodly. Not only were they helpless, but completely unworthy of his love being ungodly. Literally means to be lacking reverence. Or to resist the proper fear of God. To resist the proper fear of God. You are trying to stay away from God. Outside the Bible, it talks about, uses this word to shrink away from something. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18 says, And it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved. What will become of the godless man? Same word. And the sinner. It's difficult for the righteous to be saved. It's impossible for the godless and the sinner. All sinners have lived in a state of being hostile or resistant with God. <laughs> and they are not at peace with God. They're at war with God. They do not stand in the grace of God. They do not stand in the love of God. The sinner is unable to live a godly life until he's saved and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He needs someone to take his place. The law of God helps a sinner to recognize that he's ungodly. Ungodliness against the law of the first five commands, the first four commandments. Against the worship of God. He does not worship God. He does not want to worship God. He resists against God. He is ungodly. Not only is he helpless, but he wants to resist everything that God wants to do. Third, Verse 7. <clears throat> for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. What will happen to a person without the love of God? What will happen? <clears throat> Number 3. Without the love of God, the person will always be ordinary. 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 
You will be ordinary. You will not be righteous. You will not be good because the Bible talks about, especially Romans talks about, not being able to do anything to be righteous or do anything to be good. And even if you were good, you wouldn't show the love of God. The sinner who loves another person is being compared here to the love of God. A sinner may die for a sinner who's a friend or a best friend or a good friend, but Jesus Christ was willing to die for his enemies. He died for the world. A righteous man, the term means to do all the legal, the legal law requires. To be a good man is a person who does morally correct actions. You can do things. You could even love someone to the point of dying for them. But your death will not save the world. Your death won't fill all the problems of the helpless, ungodly, ordinary people. Only the love of God. Drop down to verse 8. Fourth thing that happens, being without the love of God. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, what will happen to a person without the love of God? Number four, without the love of God, the person will always be rebellious. You will be sick. <laughs> you, you will be ungodly. You will resist. You'll be ordinary. And you will be rebellious. If you are just your normal self, if you're just your ordinary self, without the love of God, you will be rebellious towards God. While you're yet sinners, present tense, yet sinners, terms only used here in the book of Romans, God cannot love sin, but he loves the sinner. In the Jewish thinking of the day, they believed that if you were not Jewish, you were a sinner. They believed if you were Jewish and God gave you the law, you were righteous. That's like living in America. You think because you live in America that you are righteous. You'll be okay. God will value the good things you do and it will outweigh the bad things you do. You think... You'll be saved by the group. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you as a sinner are sick. You as a sinner are resistant to God. You as a sinner is ordinary. There's a world full of you. You'll be on the wide road. You will be rebellious. You'll be a sinner. You'll rebel against God. With four strikes, you're out. You will not have an experience of knowing the love of God. You'll be in a situation that, no matter what happens on this planet, leads you to an eternity separated from God. 
Now, there is another side of the coin. There is another way to look at this. There are those that have not experienced the love of God, and there are those that will experience the love of God. And I want to give you the full story. I want to give you the negative, and I want to give you the positive. Are you ready? Are you as low as you can go with the negative? Do you feel bad about every non-believer you know who are sitting there close to the lake and can't get there? And they, they're so sick, they need you to carry them to the water. You know they're resistant to God. You know they're ordinary. They're with a group, large group of people. Do you know that they're rebellious towards God? That's about as low as you can go. You know, I don't think us Christians cry enough. Every time you see a non-believer, you should be crying. Knowing what they have ahead of them, knowing how they're living now, and knowing what has happened in their past should make you cry. As low as you can go. I don't think you're low enough. Let's go lower. What is sin? In a wonderful sermon we preached about two years ago that you all remember, we talked about sin. Let me give you the highlights. I won't preach it again. We said there are four types of sin. There's a personal sin. That's a person in a state of being in contrary to the nature of God. You sin because you do things contrary to the nature of God. Second, we said there's an inherent sin in you that's corrupt in a sinful nature. You have a crooked nature that you receive from Adam. You are crooked. Third, you have an imputed sin. Because all the guilt of all people were received and placed upon them because of Adam's sin. You're a sinner. You have, fourth, a universal sin. Universal sin is that all people are under the power of sin. This world is under the power of sin. You are controlled by sin. You have personal sin. You imputed sin. You inherited sin. You are, have universal sin. You are in a world of sin. And everyone else says. How do you feel now? Oh, you don't feel low enough yet. Let's go a little bit lower. What does sin do for you? What are the benefits of sin? Why this week will you go out and do something sinful rather than something righteous? What benefit will sin do for you? Here you go. Three things. Sin is an attack on the holiness of God. When you sin, you're attacking the holiness of God. You're choosing to go against God's character. And you sin. That's bad enough, but let's go to the second thing. Sin is an attack upon God's law. You're spitting on God's law by breaking His law. Sin is an attack. Third, sin is an attack on God's morals. So you hate God's morals, you hate God's law, you hate God's holiness. You are in rebellion against God. You cannot handle God's law. 
You cannot do God's law. You cannot be righteous. You cannot be good. You're ordinary. You resist God. You're ungodly. And guess what? You're sick. You sickos. How low do you feel now? I think I got you where you need to be. And it's not me, but it's going to be Paul that will raise you up. You ready to hear some encouraging words from Paul about your problem, you sinners? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. What will happen to a person with the love of God? What will happen to a person with the love of God? Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died. At the right time, Christ died. It wasn't the wrong time. It wasn't the if time. It was the right time. The right time talks about something about God, which you, under the love of God, will know and experience and love. You know what it is? with the love of God, a person will always be bound to a sovereign God. A sovereign God. You will be bound to a sovereign God. I shouldn't have to teach you the sovereignty of God. You are bound to a sovereign God. Because everything He does is at the right time. There are two ways that you can look at this. Right time. You can look at it at the time that Jesus was put on a cross. That was the perfect time for Christ to be on a cross. The second timing that happened in your life was when you heard the gospel message. That was the right time for you to hear. Now some of you, especially those of you that accepted Christ late in life, you look back and you say, boy, I wish I was saved earlier. But God saved you at the right time. The sovereign time. Because of the love of God, you are connected to and bound to a sovereign God who controls time. And that love changes your life. That love changes your life. God's love is unfailing, unceasing, unchanging, Cannot be conquered. Because of God's love, there are things you cannot lose. There you go. John 10 says you cannot lose eternal life. 1 John 1 says you cannot lose God's forgiveness. Hebrews 13 says you cannot lose God's presence. Hebrews 4 says you cannot lose access to the Lord through prayer. Prayer, eternal life, forgiveness, God's presence, you have Because the love of God came and touched you at the right time. When you experienced the love of God, you were saved. And that kept you from being helpless, resistant, rebellious, and ordinary. It was God's sovereign time. Christ died at the proper time in the plan of God. Christ died exactly in the time according to the plan of God. 
Christ died at the right time while you were still a sinner. Christ died <clears throat> may indicate that a sinner does not have enough time in life to do the work of justification. It may mean that the Jewish nation in 4,000 years could not justify themselves even with the law. It could mean that Jesus Christ died at the right time so the sick could be saved. Galatians 4.4 4, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God sent His Son at the right time. God sent His Son to be under the law. Jesus fully was under the law and fulfilled the law. He did not sin, not once, not one evil thought. He did not sin. Jesus fulfilled the law and became the perfect sacrifice for you sickos so that you could be saved at the perfect time. You owe so much to God's sovereignty, it's amazing. You don't know how much you owe. Second, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What will happen to a person with the love of God? If God loves you, what will happen? You will have a bound relationship with the sovereignty of God. And second, with the love of God, a person will always be bound to a heavenly Father. With the love of God, a person will always be bound to a heavenly Father. You will have a relationship with God. God demonstrates His love. You experience the love of God. You know God. You have a knowledge of God because you experience His love. God, without the work of Jesus Christ, is unattainable and unapproachable. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, you can experience the love of God and have a relationship with God. You know God. God's love is more valuable than a human being dying for another human being. It demonstrates, continues to demonstrate, continues to show God. It shows the love of God based upon this past act of Jesus Christ dying. The God's love because of what he is, not what you do or who you are. God loves you because that is who he is. I told you to keep your finger in Galatians chapter 3. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> you got a piece of paper there. It shouldn't take you too long. Come on now. I can hear the pages turning. Come on now. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. If it's not underlined in your Bible, you've got to underline this verse. If you don't write in your Bibles, I'm sorry, you've got to memorize this verse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, <clears throat> having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Jesus Christ redeemed believers from the curse of the law. You don't realize that work. 
you were saved from the curse by the work of Jesus Christ. There's hope for everyone who fails to keep the Ten Commandments. If you've ever failed the Ten Commandments, ever once, you are in desperate need of a Savior who can take the curse away from you. And Jesus Christ did it. He took the curse away. Number three. Number three. The next phrase in verse 8, God demonstrates His own love towards us. His own love towards us. God's love towards us. What will happen to a person with the love of God? Number three, with the love of God, a person will always be bound to a supernatural love. A supernatural love. An out-of-this-world love. This this unbelievable, divine, supernatural, godly love, you will be bound to it forever. The love of God is beyond the human limit of love and will be beyond the human understanding of love. It is a love that goes beyond anything in this world. Ask me to share with you about the love of God. Go ahead, ask me. Ask me. Okay, I heard one person. The love of God is connected to the sinner being connected to the grace of God, being connected to the work of reconciliation, and being connected to the work of justification so that a sinner can be saved. Let me say that again. The love of God is connecting to the sinner being connected to the grace of God, being connected to the work of reconciliation, and being connected to the work of justification so that the sinner can be saved. God's own love is unique and special to Him, and He shares it with you when you are justified, reconciled in grace and in love. And you start to experience a relationship with God. It's not like our love. Our love is basically selfish. When you say you love your dog, you're saying, I will love you, dog, as long as you love me. As long as you don't rebel against me, dog. As long as you don't bite my hand when I feed you, I will love you. It's always something. But God loves us. While we were helpless, while we were resistant, while we were ordinary, and while we rebelled. And you get to keep this love of God forever and ever and ever. Number four. But God demonstrated His love towards us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. What will happen to a person with the love of God? Number four. With the love of God, a person will always be bound to a loving Savior. Always be bound to a loving Savior. There's nothing you can do to break that bound because it's dependent upon Jesus Christ. It's dependent upon His love for you. Christ died for you. God's present tense action of loving you is based upon an aorist tense point in time in the past, death of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ paid your penalty for sin. The past event 
is continually demonstrating God's love for you today. Every time you see that cross, the action of Jesus Christ demonstrates the actions of God the Father. The love of God. 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 You know, Sometimes it just doesn't stick in our brain. You know what we need? We need a picture. Now, by the way, this is one I think of the best pictures of an actual cross during that time. This is on, this is on the road in Israel between Jerusalem and Bethany. This cross, you see what it is? It's a tree. You see the lower platform where the normal person who is crucified can put his feet. And then his hands are bound to the cross beam. And while he's on the cross, it seems like somehow he gets a buildup of fluid on his lungs and he has to breathe out by lifting his body up on the cross by extending his legs on the step so that he can breathe. What happens to die on a cross being crucified is to die from lack of air. So they continually have to breathe by lifting themselves up. And after a while, especially if you've been whipped and bleeding on a back and having your back scrub against the back of a tree scraping and bleeding more you just run out of the strength to breathe and you die from lack of breath and on this cross Jesus would put and he did not go to the cross because of somebody else's he didn't go to the cross because of his own sins. He went because of yours. He was the only person in the universe that didn't deserve death under the law. But he died taking your place on behalf of you so that you could live. And he was whipped, beaten, Because he loved you. He went to a cross because he loved you. He was stripped naked and put on this cross. And in order to breathe, he had to extend his legs and lift himself up so he could take in a breath of air. And he did it for you. He loves you. <sighs> Look at the cross. And while you're looking at the cross, I'm going to share some things with you about your salvation. Don't write these down. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. 
God provided salvation for you by demonstrating God's love for the world. Jesus Christ went to the cross because of the love for the world. Salvation begins with the compassion of God, which is an emotion that God had for the people that were helpless and needed a Savior. Salvation begins with the compassion of God, which is sufficient for your salvation. Because He has compassion for you, His Son went to a cross. Salvation begins with the compassion of God, which will change your life. It'll change your life. That cross will change your life. Salvation, after it's begun by the compassion of God, is activated by the mercy of God. The mercy of God is sufficient to provide you salvation. Salvation is activated by the mercy of God, which is not earned by you doing something. It's given to you as a gift. Salvation is activated by the mercy of God, which is completely a work of the sovereign God at the right time, at the right place. Somebody shared with you the gospel message, and God caused you to respond, and you accepted the gift. You accepted the gift. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a, on a tree. But Jesus redeemed you when he hung on a tree. You know that should make you react differently. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, We should always give thanks to God... For you, brethren, beloved, perfect tense, passive, beloved by God. Beloved by the Lord. You've been loved by God. You've been loved by God. You've been loved by God because of like that. How do you respond? You should always give thanks. Not a day should go by in your life where you don't thank God. Romans chapter 15, verse 9. And to the Gentiles, to glorify God for His mercy. To glorify God for His mercy. We talk about glorifying God. It's the act of worship. You should give thanks and you should worship God every day when you think about the cross. And it is written, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. The third thing, you should praise God. You should praise God. You should give them thanks, you should give them worship, you should give them praise. And, verse 9 ends, and I will sing to your name. Third thing, fourth thing you should do is singing. Now, if you don't sing very well, you can stand next to me. But, we are to sing. Because why? Because we looked at that cross. I should give thanks I should give worship, I should give praise, and I should vocalize it in singing to God. Because of what Jesus Christ did. Will I realize how important it is to my existence to be found in the grace of God and the love of God? Well, I realize how important it is to my existence in the universe 
to be found in the grace of God and the love of God? And will I daily praise him for the supernatural blessings that come with his love? Because God loves you, you have an automatic amount of blessings that come to you. You got grace, you got love, you got praise, you got worship. You have supernatural blessings that come because of his love. And you love God because of that work on that cross. There's a little boy out in a field flying a kite. Okay, I'm, I'm afraid to do this. How many of you fly to, flew a kite? Okay, thank you. I was nervous there. Little boy was out flying a kite. And a man passed by watching him. And he stopped and watched the little boy fly his kite. And then it looked like he noticed something about the boy. So he walked over to where the boy was. And he realized that he was right. He asked the little boy, Are you blind? Little boy said, yes. The man said, how can you be flying a kite if you're blind? He said, the boy responded, he said, I may not be able to see it, but I can feel it tugging. We may not always identify the love of God in this world, but we'll feel the tugging. Now, I am not an emotionally sensitive person, okay? But there should be a time in our lives when we look at the cross and we realize what God's love did for us and what we respond in kind to him by thanking him, by praising him, by loving him back for that gift, that blessing he gave to us. We should have an emotional response to him. I was sharing Christ with a football player one time. And he accepted Christ. <laughs> Big old guy. And I felt good because he cried. And he showed that emotion that comes with realizing that you're helpless and help came. When you think about the cross of Christ, there should be some response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do for us each and every day. Thank you, Father, for the work of salvation and how you've done so much for us by the compassion of God and by the mercy of God. We thank you, Father, that you've saved us, that you shared, that you had somebody come with the gospel message to save us, and you gave us the gospel message so that we could be saved, so we can have a relationship, so we can be in the love of God and the grace of God. Thank you, Father, that you did such a work in our lives that you changed us forever. We will never stop thanking you. We'll never stop praising you. We'll never stop worshiping you. We'll never stop giving you glory for the work you did for us. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us in your work of salvation 
You came into our lives at the right time. You put Christ on the cross at the right time. You did everything you needed for us to do. You could be saved. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You'll notice on the handout, I got one new point at the bottom of the page every week. I've noticed some of you writing on your body parts. Instead of writing on your body parts, I have a paste on a part on the handout for you to write on. The key point that you got from the message today that you want to take home and remember. Okay? Okay? And then that key point should be what you share with others this week. 